You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. And the season is still going on, guys, which means our promo deal with MyBookie is still active. You can still take advantage of it. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag today. Use the promo code UGA if you are a brand new user, and they will double whatever that initial deposit is. Take advantage of it while you can. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. I am your host, Tyler, and back with me again for this week's mailback edition of the podcast is my coach Charlie. I told you guys on the recap episode that I was on a a strict lemon tea and honey diet following the game on Saturday night just to try to get my voice remotely close to recording shape. And I think it was okay. I think it sounded okay. I think it's one of those things that sounds worse to me than it does maybe to you guys, at least when I'm talking. I kind of fade there a little bit towards the end. You guys probably picked up on that. But Charlie, my voice is getting there. We had some listeners, actually quite a few listeners, ask over the weekend after the game if you actually screamed at all, if you actually cheered for the dogs. We know how soft-spoken you are. I think that was the, the phrase that was used a couple times in the questions that we got. And you make it pretty clear that sometimes you just sit there and don't like do anything, which I never have quite understood. But inquiring minds want to know, did you actually lose your voice at all? I didn't lose my voice, but I'm used to talking a lot. And I find it funny that people call me soft-spoken. I don't think... I think you're soft-spoken on this podcast. On the podcast, yes. But in real life, no. I'm the loudest... A tyrant? Loudest person. No, but that's not nice. No, you're not. You actually are just like... The volume in which you speak yeah, is usually very, like, excessively loud. Yeah, it's strange that I'm quiet. And you're always like, speak into the mic! No, it, it, it is weird. Because you are like... I mean, off the podcast, guys. When Charlie's just having a normal conversation. If you're in a restaurant and you... like, Let's say Charlie's in the back of the restaurant and you just walked in. Above all the other noise in the restaurant, you can pick out Charlie's voice. Even if you've never heard her voice before, that's how loud this uh, wonderful star of the podcast talks. So when you're on the podcast, it's like, hey, can we hear you? It's like, what is happening? Why are you whispering? You never whisper in real life. So it's one of the mysteries of life. No, I did not take any plays off. You actually cheered? I did. Like screamed? Every play. Every play. Some clapping going on? Um, every I, play? I clapped like every play, yeah. I will and give you screamed. credit. I, I did have to take a break from screaming like one or two plays, and then I was just clapping like crazy in my watch. Did you get lightheaded me. like me where I kind of forgot to breathe at times? I saw stars at one Yes, point. I did too. And then also... Like dizzy. When, I had to sit down kind of dizzy. When we kept getting... 
we had those false start calls in the third quarter back to back. Yeah. It was so loud, I had to cover my ears. I think the loudest it got was when they were, I guess it was in the fourth quarter, they were driving to score, and we got a couple sacks, it was fourth and a mile, right? And we, when we sacked them on that play, and then the people went, lost their minds. And that was probably the loudest moment for me. And then, of course, we had the face mask, which is like, oh my God, I'm sitting there in the stand saying, like, one thing we can't do before this play happens is we can't commit a penalty. No pass interference, there's nothing dumb, nothing dumb, nothing dumb. And then, you know, it wasn't a dumb thing. It's just one of the, you know, one of those things that happens while you're playing. But yeah, it was loud. And I will give Charlie credit, guys. I, I will attest to this. When I got those questions on Saturday night, like, did Charlie lose her voice? Did she scream? I didn't lose my voice. I know. I, 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 call, I, I called you, and your voice was not normal. Well, no, it wasn't normal. Yeah, but I, you had you had voice. clearly done some pretty serious cheering. Yeah, when it was a lost voice, you could talk. Like, I didn't lose my voice. I could talk a little bit, but it sounded bad. Right. And uh, yours was not normal, so I will give you a round of applause, fair amount of credit there, Charlie. Good for you. If you no do it, you do off. it two weeks in a row. Why can't you do that? Or why do, you can obviously do it? Why don't you do don't it on a regular basis? To. Or we're playing Kent State, you're like, eh. Yeah, exactly. Vanderbilt, eh. Right. I mean. You've made it very clear these blowout games, like you're just done with. Yeah, they're boring. But did you actually have? Okay, it was more this fun was in the, the moment. Most, it was more fun in the moment. This was the best game, the most fun I have had in Sanford Stadium in, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, 17 18 years. 17, 18 years? Yeah. More than Notre Dame game? Oh, way more fun. And more stakes involved. I, this was the most, I will actually kind of agree with that, John. This is, this is probably the most fun I've had in Sanford Stadium since. The 2007 blackout game when I was a student. I was a senior. Oh, I went to that game. I don't really remember it because I can only remember so Back much. in Black? The, the, the song hit. We're out. Well, you know that kind of stuff doesn't phase me. Oh, my God. I, lo- I lost my proverbial No, this mind. was the most fun I remember having at a game. Yeah, this is inside San Francisco. Anywhere. This Anywhere? was more fun than the national championship. <sighs> Maybe because, because I wasn't as stressed. I was just so, like, the anxiety inside my body from that championship game, like, yes, I enjoyed it after the after the fact, but at the moment, I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack, I think. Like, there were moments I'm like, I might not survive this game. So, yeah, maybe it was in, more fun. The guy that sits in front of me, John, hey, John, um, we were constantly like, okay, we're 25% done, one quarter down, okay, <laughs> okay, 50% done, two quarters down, okay, and three quarters, <laughs> You know, he had been having fun, and I was like, "Yeah, seventy-five percent done." And he's like, "Is that is that what three? Oh, I mean, by having is? fun, yes, you've missed him for having a beverage or two. Yeah, no, that maybe he snuck we into the stadium. We just did some little. We just practiced some math at the same time. Yeah, drinking and math, great times, awesome. Yeah, I, maybe it was the best time I've had in game. Try, I don't know. It's it's certainly up there. I'm trying to think what else was awesome. Um, the Rose Bowl try. I don't know. The Rose Bowl was epic. No, I had more fun this weekend. I think I had more fun at the Rose Bowl than the National Championship game. It was a group effort. It was a group effort. It's certainly up there. I think you can make the argument. It was awesome. It was, it was man, it was so much Nobody fun. Nobody was getting... It also was a rival, so I think that matters too. I think this was the first game where I didn't see anyone get taken out by police for being like obnoxiously Did drunk. you see a person leave when it started to rain? Because I didn't. No. And like, nobody cared. Like... I was given. I I carry a bunch of ponchos or in my in a bag that's carried that's carried with me. Um, there's a bunch of ponchos, and we were kind of just. I only needed one for myself. Wife needed one, and we were just kind of hand out to people around us. And like people, didn't, like most people didn't care though. They're like, I'm I'm gonna get rained on. It doesn't matter. Usually it's like people head for the exits, man. Like we're yeah, just, people were happy to ride home wet. Yeah, like it wasn't. I mean, it was awesome. It was great, man. It was it was truly awesome. Um, 
Yeah, definitely the best environment inside a Sabres game I've ever been in. The most fun, for sure, for sure, for sure. But all right, Charlie, I know people like to hear those things, but we also have a bunch of questions to get to that we have to answer today. And a lot of them, you know, after a big win like this, we still have quite a few Tennessee-related questions. Uh, I think there's maybe a, one or two looking forward to Mississippi State later on. But uh, where are we kicking things off today? All right, we're going to start with Britt's question. He wants to know, after the beatdown of Tennessee, is Georgia unequivocally the best team in the country right now? And also, with that question, Garrett would like to know, after seeing weaknesses across the country this past weekend, do you see us repeating the national championship this year? Yeah, I, I kind of figured this question was coming. Um, we tend to react that way when things go well. Like this is, It's kind of like the Oregon game, Charlie, right? After Oregon, what was the, what was the conversation after Oregon? It was like, we're clearly winning the national championship, right? Like, is there anyone that can touch us after we beat Oregon the way that we did? And then we come back down to earth a little bit, you know, a couple weeks later. You know, we beat the crap out of South Carolina, and it's like clearly Georgia's the number one team. And then Missouri happens, and people change their minds. We just overreact on, to both extremes. Well, no team is as good as they are on their best day, and oh they're not as God. bad there as they is. are there on, it their, is. on their worst there. day. Wait, did you make that up? I are think you the first that, person to say that? No. I think no, that okay. Georgia is a very consistent Team. It's like I said the recap. It's the culture. It's the culture. Yeah. It you're you're expected to perform at the highest level on a regular basis. And if you're not, then you're gonna get yanked to the side, yeah. told to fix it, and then you go fix it. Yeah. The standard of the culture. There's no all those screwing things. around. Yeah. I mean Kirby has built this thing the right way, and we're seeing that right now in games of this magnitude. So I mean these you're right, Charlie. Reading these questions together was the right move because they're basically asking the same thing. Are we unequivocally the best team in the country? Unequivocally is a strong word. I think if, if you take unequivocally out and you just ask my opinion, yes, I think we are the best team in the country. We are still flawed. I think, but that's that's the, I guess that's the point to Garrett's question. All these teams are flawed, right, Charlie? Like, I mean, you saw Ohio State. Absolutely. They, they I don't say they barely beat Northwestern, but Charlie, that was basically a, a seven-all game at halftime. Yeah. I mean, that's Northwestern it's who had like one win. Mile-hour wins. Yeah, but still, I yeah. mean, no, I know these teams are flawed. All these teams are flawed, and I include us that we are not a perfect team. We have weaknesses, but to your point, Garrett, yeah, I mean, all these teams around the country have weaknesses, and if you're looking for the best team, the most complete team, I I personally think it's the University of Georgia. Uh, I think there's some other really good teams. I do think Ohio State's very good. Ohio State, if we line up with Ohio State on neutral site, I think it would be one hell of a game. Um, on, any, on any given day, they could beat us. On any given day, we could beat them. Tennessee, I still have a lot of respect for Tennessee. Just because we beat them doesn't mean I don't think Tennessee's good. Honestly, I would still have Tennessee in my top four, Charlie, in my college football, football playoff rankings, which we'll see tomorrow night. Where would you have Tennessee? Do they drop out from one to five or six for you, or are they still in there? I don't know. My overall thing is there's number one, Georgia, and then there's a big space. Really? You think we're just head and shoulders above better than everyone else? Resume-wise, or just our how good our team is? How good our team is. I think that... Ohio State would be second. Do you agree? I have Ohio State number two. I don't. Think, I, think I, think, that, I think we're better. I don't. Think, I don't think there's a huge gap right now, though. But I think there's definitely a gap. Well, yeah, that's because you know when you think something's better, there's those, a gap. After, that's how that works. He's smart out. After two, then I think there's an even bigger drop. I think one, two, and then a drop. Yes, and I think but it's weird again how things change in one week. Because coming into last week. That was not the conversation. It was like Tennessee, like Tennessee, like is that the best team in the country? And now, obviously, after this week, you know, we get more evidence, and no, they're not. But I still think Tennessee would be my top four. I think I would have Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, and who do you got? TCU or Michigan? Probably Michigan. 
I think TCU. I think TCU has better wins. Yeah, but they're also playing. Yeah, I don't know. I think they could both be tied. Michigan has one decent win, and that is Penn State. And that's like, okay, it's a fine win at home. Like it's Penn State's good-ish. What about Oregon? I think Oregon like, should be up. Should Oregon and be way punished because they Dan, had the balls to play us? And way to go, Dan Lanning. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, they're just beating the hell out of everybody, except for Georgia. Now, that one loss was a really, really bad loss, but it was the best team in the country, as you know, as defined by you and I, Charlie. So, I, honestly, I think you can make an argument for Oregon to be in the top four, uh, but they're not going to be. I would probably have Oregon five. I think I would have Oregon ahead of Michigan because I think Oregon has better wins. Well, do they have better wins? I don't know if they have better wins. They have that win over UCLA, which is better than anything Michigan's got. And yes, they had the loss. I know Michigan doesn't, but like, should we really punish Oregon that much for having the, the guts to go play Georgia in, in Atlanta, Georgia? I mean, no, I think that they're I don't know, deserved man. to be up there. Yeah, they got beat 49 3, though. So maybe I would have maybe I'd have Michigan ahead of them. It was also I, Oregon, the first maybe game six. Of the I don't season. know. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, I think Oregon is really, really, really good right now. So, I mean, I usually base things on how good I think a team is. And, I, and you know, resume it has to matter. I get it. Losses have to matter. But Michigan played Little Sisters of the Poor. I mean, was their best non conference team they played Connecticut? I mean, was that it? Hawaii? Like, I don't know, man. So, I don't know. But anyway, back to the question. I do think that we are the best team in the country. Unequivocally, I can't quite go there yet because I do think Ohio State is a really good football team, and that would be a team that, that could potentially beat us on any given day on a neutral site for sure. Um, Tennessee could beat us on a neutral site, but if we played Tennessee 10 times on at a neutral site, I think we probably won seven to eight of those games. Um, let's see who else. I don't think Michigan beats us. I think we're just better. Like Michigan is a less talented version of us. Like they want to be us. They want to. They want to run the football, hit play action off that, and they want to play good defense, good physical defense. And they, we just have better players, and we do the same thing as right. we saw last year. We have more elite players. Yeah, I just think Michigan. I don't think Michigan's as good as they were last year. We might not be as good as we were last year, but I still think that Michigan's like Georgia light. I think that's what they they want to be. So I wouldn't go there. Um, TCU is a really good. I'm mean, TCU. Like I will say, TCU has firmly. They've had a horseshoe firmly lodge up their ass all year. Like, it seems like every team they play, their starting quarterback either gets hurt in the game or comes in the game not playing. And hey, that's great. I had a huge win total bet on TCU. Already hit that. I have a bet on TCU to win the the uh, the Big Twelve title at twenty eight hundred to one odds. So I'm all about TCU, baby. But I don't. I, I mean, I don't think TCU's gonna beat Georgia. They have some really good players on offense. Defensively, no, they can't stop the run. So I mean, I don't think they would beat us. Um, Oregon, obviously, we already saw that happen. I, I think I do think the game would be a little bit closer. You know, if we played them again. But I, I think that we, we've shown that we are the better team there. Clemson, get out of here. That Clemson shouldn't even be in the top fifteen. Honestly, I don't, I don't think Clemson's a top fifteen in the country. Fifteen team in the country. I really don't. I mean, they lost bad Notre Dame. Notre Dame is bad guys. Notre Dame lost to. God, they lost to freaking Stanford and Marshall at home, and then they go and wallop Clemson. I mean, dear God, Clemson. I mean, I, we told you that guys that last week, but whatever. So, yes, I do think we're the best team in the country, um, not unequivocally. Do I see us repeating this year? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had some serious doubts, guys, and I don't want to overreact to one game, but this was a huge game against a, still a team I have a lot of respect for. I mean, I hate Tennessee. I hate their fans, and I'm so glad that they had to – I don't know. Well, Charlie, I'm trying to go PC here. I'm so glad they had to eat their words. Is that PC enough? Yeah. Ooh, I had to stop myself there. I must have something I would have regretted. Or maybe lost some listeners over. But I'm glad they lost. But I still, I mean, I have to be objective here. I think they're a really good team. I still have them in my top four. I probably have them still at number three. I mean, they have a win over Alabama, who is yeah, not as good as Alabama typically is. And, uh, and LSU, though, who looks like they're probably, if they hold, if they hold serve here, probably going to make it to the SEC championship game. But uh, yeah, I, I do. If I had to pick right now, sure, why not? Let's say Georgia repeats, goes back to back. Certainly not a done deal. Don't think we're unequivocally better than everyone else. 
But um, I think we're right there. I think we're. I, I think right now, yes, I would say they're the best team in the country, as I've said probably too many times now. Let me right. move on. Okay, I have a couple questions about the def. Well, no, nope, I'm going to give you one question right now. Darren asks, what is the mindset of the team with a playoff spot almost locked in and being heavy favorites in the last three games? Darren, 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 I love you, man. I appreciate all the interaction on social media. You are a good dude, a damn good dog, um, and, a, and a, a smart guy. I know that, but... This is just me, okay? You are right. I am wrong. I am. I was raised too much on Vince Dooley and Larry Munson. R.I.P. Vince Dooley and Larry, my man. Um, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll talk more about Mississippi State as this week goes on. And as this episode goes on, we'll get to some Mississippi State questions. This team um, is not a great football team, but they are good enough at home as we saw with Missouri, right? You know, good enough to give us a game if we do not come and play to our standard, especially since they're allowed to cheat legally somehow with artificial noisemakers that no one else in the ACC is allowed to use. But hey, that's neither here nor there. No big deal. No big deal. Um, yeah, I I do think that, you know, with, with your average team, to, to answer your question, I would say let's not get ahead of ourselves since we still have to go on the road two tough trap games in our regular season, at least SEC schedule. And then we got that thing called Georgia Tech at the end of the year. And obviously we've got we to win in the SEC championship game. But if, if we can get to the SEC championship game, your point is taken. If we get there undefeated, I mean, just like last year, we're almost certainly in. Now it kind of depends on what happens around the rest of the country, sure, but we're going to be in a really, really good spot with the wins that we have over Oregon and now Tennessee. If we can get to the title game undefeated, and if, even if we lose and it's a close game, then we should be fine, right? But when you when you have a team, to your question, that is in the situation that we're in, where you feel like you've got a spot in the SEC title game wrapped up because you beat Tennessee, who was the number one threat there, and if you have a spot in the SEC title game wrapped up, you think you have a really good shot for the college football playoff, and you can see that like right there in front of you, you are at risk of overlooking teams and kind of start feeling yourselves and like reading your press clippings. Like I don't wanna, I don't know if Tennessee did that, but you see this all the time, guys, where teams that have not been there before, they just don't handle it, right? They don't handle it well. When they're ranked number one in the first playoff, playoff rankings, everyone's talking about how great they are, how they're going to go into Georgia, the defending national champion, in their place, and just not just beat them, but beat the holy hell out of them. Those guys hear that. Social media is a real thing. They You can't turn that off. They hear it, they read it, they see it, and they can try to you know, listen to the coach and say, oh, we're not going to buy into it, but you internalize that. You can't help it. But our team has been there before. We're not a flash in the pan like Tennessee, and maybe that's too harsh for Tennessee, but we're not a newcomer to, to this scene, right? To these big game environments. This has been old hat for us going back to 2017. Now, it's not as old for us as it is for Alabama, but we've been there. We've done that. We've played in big games. We've won national titles. We've been there. So I, I do think that that helps us with that mindset. I also think that Kirby Smart helps us here. Kirby is fantastic. Him and our staff, again, go back to our culture. Our culture doesn't allow us to have those letdowns. I know you want to point to Tennessee. People can point to Missouri and say, well, what about that? It's a letdown. I don't, that wasn't about overlooking Missouri. That was just poor execution. That happens sometimes when you play football. I don't think that was about not respecting your opponent or feeling yourselves or anything like that. If that was the case, like the game we would have lost is like South Carolina, right? On the road, the fan base that spent all offseason somehow they're going to beat Georgia, upset us week three in Columbia. And after we beat Oregon the way we did come there and overlooked them, like that would that would be an example of that. But we we didn't really do that against Missouri. We didn't play well. That was about mine. We just didn't play well. We did not play to our standard. But I have gotten to the point now, I mean I still worry. You guys know me. I, I still worry about these things. I mean I'm already about convinced myself we're gonna lose this weekend. I mean, not really, but I'm worried about it. I tweeted this out after the game. It's like is it bad that I'm already worried about next week? And the answer is yes, it is bad, but it's a it's a character flaw of mine. It's it's just my Georgia fandom and how I was raised on this stuff. Um, but our our coaches aren't 
going to, I just don't think they're going to allow that to happen. I've seen it too many times now where we just have our guys, our mindset ready. It's not, I, I never really worry about our, I mean, I shouldn't worry about our mindset, I guess. I always worry about it just on principle alone because that's what I do. But every, almost every single time I'm proved wrong and Kirby has our guys ready. So I see how, you know, your average team, especially a, a newcomer to this kind of situation like Tennessee could have a problem with that. I just, I'm hopeful at least that's not going to be an issue for us. Okay, I'm going to give you two defensive questions. James first asks, can you discuss why UGA's defensive game plan made things so difficult for Tennessee? And Zach would like to know, was this the best defensive performance of the Kirby Smart era? Do you think so? I think so. I mean, we read the stats out, Charlie, last week when we were doing the pick show. Against top 10 scoring offenses come into last week in the Kirby Smart era, we were 2-6 and six in those games. Mm-hmm. So we, we have not fared especially well against high-powered offenses and, you know, Kirby Smart's tenure here is our head coach. So when you look at this Tennessee offense, you know, people are comparing it to what I think is the best offense I've ever seen, the LSU 2019 offense. And for us to come out and just flat out dominate them, hold them almost under half their average yards per game, almost half their average po- yards per play. I mean, I, I, I think I said this on the recap episode. I'm pretty sure I did. But just to reiterate in case you didn't hear that, yes, emphatically, yes, I do think this is the best defensive performance of the Kirby Smart era. I think the the home field crowd certainly helped. You're not having this game on neutral side like in the SEC Championship game or something like that. I think that certainly helped. But yes, I mean, I, I'm not saying this is the best Georgia defense under Kirby Smart. No, I'm not saying that. It's not. But if talking about one single game, a one-off performance, yes, I do think this is the best performance I've seen from a Kirby Smart defense. To James's question, what made things so difficult for Tennessee? Well, it's a couple of things. You know, it's kind of, again, reiterate some things I said on the recap episode. Number one, our physicality. I mean, Jalen Hyatt, their star receiver, said after the game, like, Georgia was just more physical than Alabama. We knew that was going to happen. They are a physical football team. And that's going back to what I kept saying on the recap show, guys. Culture, culture, culture. Kirby breeds that. Our coaching staff... We breed that. That does not happen by accident. You don't accidentally have every team that we play talk about our physicality in the post-game press conference. That's something that we emphasize. That's what we do at the University of Georgia. So I think that certainly was a part of it. And I also think our game plan, going back to what we did schematically, it's exactly, look, our coaches know far more about football than I do, but even a layman like myself could sit back, you know, as much as I watched Tennessee over the past couple of weeks, getting ready for that week and, the, and all those episodes last week to get you guys ready for it, it was pretty clear to me that Tennessee runs the football. Everyone wants to talk about how they throw the ball. They run the football 57% of the time. Their offense is built to create layups by forcing teams to overreact to their run game and, and the screen game. And we were able to defend their run game fairly consistently with even numbers in the box. So if they had five guys in the box, we had five guys in the box. They had six guys in the box, we had six guys in the box. And we were able to keep their rushing game under 100 yards rushing, under three yards per attempt. And by doing that, that's why we were not, that's why we didn't give those layups. I mean, how many like true deep shots you just even see Tennessee attempt? They couldn't because that offense is not just, they don't just drop back and throw the ball deep just to throw the ball deep. They create those opportunities with their run game. They get more bodies in the box. They force teams to roll safety down like Alabama. And now you create those one-on-one opportunities and they couldn't do that against us because we were able to keep the two high shell because we were able to defend the, the run with the even numbers. It took a couple of shots or maybe one or two plays. They actually could have hit a shot, but Hooker just missed them. But that was the key to this game, stopping the run. And I, that's what I told you guys coming in. I thought that was the key was we had to win the line in the scrimmage. And they tried, man. They tried to run the football. They simply could not get it done. So physicality, stopping the run. And, and you know, when they did take shots down the field, our DBs were 
were in their grill, man. Like we did a really good job. And we didn't sit back and zone them. We we did some zone here and there, but like not as a rule of thumb. Like Alabama essentially did to open that game and basically give them free releases, have them just run right past our guys. We we challenged them in man coverage. We left their guys on islands and our guys responded. So again, I mean, there's no other way to defend Tennessee, really. The way they spread you out, you have to play man coverage, put their guys on islands. You can play zone, but they'll run right by you. They'll kill you in zone, as you saw in the Alabama game. So we did what we had to do from a coverage standpoint. Our guys held up. They responded. They played the right way. They played physical, and they stopped the run, which has been the key to our success defensively for a couple of years now. I've had questions about that in the absence of Jordan Davis. But, man, those guys really stepped up in a big way against Tennessee. All right, next up we have quarterback question. Adam would like to know, why does Stetson Bennett struggle with lesser teams? He has no problem stepping up for big games, but seems to struggle more with lesser teams like Kent State or who else have we played? Sanford. Sanford, those games. Missouri. You know, I I see where you're coming from with this because Stetson has had some big-time performances in big games. Obviously, that's championship. He played very well. Oregon played maybe the best game of his career. I mean, 80% completion percentage, 300, almost 370, two touchdowns, no picks. Obviously, against Tennessee, played very, very well. I mean, he was lights out in that first half. But there have also been some high-profile moments where he didn't play as well. Um, you go back to last year, the SEC Championship game, obviously, maybe his worst performance, one of his worst performances. I'm trying to think back to last year. Okay, so let's see. He also wasn't great against Florida last year. I think he was a little bit above 50% completion percentage, like right there. Uh, I know he had two interceptions last year. So there's been some bigger games where he hasn't played at a high level. But, I mean, I guess Arkansas, now we didn't need him against Arkansas, but against Arkansas last year, I think he threw for like under 75 yards in that game, but we just didn't really need him because we just kind of ran the ball all over them, had some turnovers, and they just couldn't handle it. Um, also played very well against Michigan, I'll give him that, uh, in, the, in the Orange Bowl. And there have been some games against lesser teams where he didn't play as well. I know, obviously, we talked about Missouri already this year. Uh, Kent State, as you mentioned, Charlie Sanford didn't play especially well. I thought he played pretty good against Auburn. I thought he played pretty well there. I thought he played really well against Vanderbilt, which is probably the worst team on our schedule, at least Power 5 team on our schedule. So I don't know if it's a good team, bad team thing. I know that's um, a, a thing that you hear from time to time. I don't know if I necessarily buy into that because I've seen him put up really good numbers against bad teams. I've seen him put up really good numbers against good teams. I've seen him put up bad numbers and have bad games against good teams. So I've seen a little bit of both from him. And, and, and I guess all different kinds of teams. But I think when Stetson has poor games, I think Stetson presses sometimes. And it really comes down to accuracy. Like when Stetson's accurate, he's very, very good. And sometimes his accuracy is not always there. It's weird. I don't know how to explain that. I've never been able to explain that for any quarterback. How can some games you be so deadly accurate with a clean pocket and some games with a clean pocket you're just not? It's really tough to explain. Maybe it's, you know, you would say the moment, but again, Stetson's been really good in the moment at times. Maybe it's focused, but I don't feel like that's the case with Stetson. It's really hard to put your finger on it. Um, so I don't know. It's it's just the mysteries of the inconsistency at the quarterback position when you have a guy that can be so accurate like you saw against Tennessee in the week before. I mean, he was even the, the throws that he hit, some of them were not particularly good throws. Receivers had to make good catches. I mean, the throw to Brock Bowers, that was the, you know, the juggle touchdown, but that wasn't a great throw. It should probably, no, it shouldn't have been completed. Um, so, I mean, you have plays like that that go down the stat books as a, as a great play, but was it really? So I think it's just one of those things, game to game, quarterbacks, it's it's one of the mysteries of, of football, man. Like, why are you accurate one game? Why are you not? I will say Stetson sometimes in the past has forced it in big moments, and I think that hurts him. I also think it's kind of situational. Some of the games where he hasn't played his best football, um, like the SEC Championship game might be games where we had to throw the ball a little bit more, couldn't rely on play action, had a drop back pass game, and that's just not really what suits Stetson. But when we have our run game going, Missouri is another example. We didn't have our run game going, guys. 
And for us to have to just rely on the drop back pass game, we ran the ball less than 10 times in the first half. That's not, I mean, Stetson's better at that this year, but that's still not what he's built to do. So when the situation suits him and our offense is able to function in a way that he operates at his optimal level, then Stetson's a baller. Now, when the run game's not working and we get behind and we have to rely more on the drop back pass game, then things become a little bit more of an issue for him. But I mean, I, I just, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the premise is what I would say there. All right. You want to uh, do a quick break? Yeah, right, I, I almost forgot here. All right, my bookie, Charlie. I don't. I have no idea. I still have football to watch. So I honestly have no idea. No idea how I even did. I haven't checked my account yet. I know I won a couple of the early games. So Got to watch some more football. Do you have any idea how you did this weekend? I didn't do as well as the past two weeks, but I'm still oh, above five hundred. I went five and four. You went five and four. Five and That's four. profit, Charlie. You can't go yeah. wrong with that. So you made a little money. Did you actually I did. did you actually bet those those picks? Yeah. So you made a little money with my yeah. bookie, guys. So be like Charlie, guys. Make some money. That's three weeks in a row. Charlie's been giving out. Winners week after week after week. I mean, I'm I don't know. We'll see how I did this week. I think I feel like I did well. The games I saw, I know I did well, but we'll see how the rest of it plays out. But my bookie guys, that's the place to do it. That's the place to put all these bets down to make yourself a little money as we get closer to the holiday season. It's very simple. Go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and whatever that first deposit is, whatever you're comfortable with, and definitely don't put anything down more than you're comfortable with. It's just fun, guys. Um, but whatever you put down, they will double it. And you have twice as much money to work with and try to win as we try to close out this college football season. So again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code UGA. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next question comes from Michael. He wants to know if you think. Um, Branson Robinson played during the meat of the game in order to show Justice Haynes that he could contribute on a championship team during his freshman year next year. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know if that. I don't think that was the purpose necessarily. Because Branson, you know, since he kind of had that breakout game against Auburn, especially after Kendall Milton went down, he's gotten plenty of snaps and like meaningful moments, like the meat of the game, as you say there. I mean. Uh, he had, I think, in the, against everybody, I think he came in the second series of the game. And he didn't play as much against Florida, but he still got some like meaningful snaps in that game. And I wasn't surprised to see him get meaningful snaps in this game because he's been doing that really since the Auburn game, since Kendall Milton's been down with an injury. I was curious to see, with Kendall, with, with Kendall healthy, would Branson get those those reps ahead of Kendall? And the answer was yes, he still did. 
So I, I don't think it necessarily had anything to do with recruiting specifically. I mean, we just like to rotate our guys at, at the running back position. That's kind of just what we do. So I think it's more just kind of doing what Georgia does offensively. Branson's earned some carries, but it certainly does not hurt. I, I'll agree with you there. It does not hurt for Justice Haynes to be in attendance, the Alabama commit uh, from Buford High School here in the state of Georgia. It does not hurt for him, for him to be in attendance and to see a freshman like that get some run, as you said, in the meat of the game. I just don't think that was the specific reason behind it. But it doesn't hurt. All right. Our next question comes from our friend Jay Rake. He said he understands that late in the game, Kirby wanted to kill clock um, and basically just suffocate Tennessee. Bow constrictor. Especially in the rain. But he wants to know if we really have to have our running backs just run into the offensive line over and over and over again. What are some other alternatives? What could we do besides that? You know, Jay Rake, I um, I can't sit here and say that I completely disagree with you because I was in the stands sitting there. Like, I know why we were doing it. We had the lead. We go to the bow constrictor. It's kind of what we do. That's our MO. Plus, you have the rain factor in this game, and you saw Branson Robinson fumble the ball. We have this lead. You don't want to give Tennessee a short field. You don't want to give them any momentum for them to be able to come back and try to win this football game and put the pressure on us. So there's that. I think that's a big part of this. But even with that, I understand why you won't put the ball in the air. I think again, I did the numbers um, going back and, and rewatching it. The rain started like right on, at almost the eight minute mark in the third quarter, and by my calculations, I'm just one man, but my my rough calculations, we had 20 plays after that point, and 18 of those were rushes. And I get why again, rain don't want to give Tennessee even momentum potentially. I understand that Branson fumbles, of course, all that, but. You know, Charlie, why couldn't we have thrown a screen pass? Like, we've been really good at throwing screens all year. Like, that's not a dangerous play. I get that you're not throwing the ball down the field, but you can't throw a screen pass to Ladd or, or Brock Bowers. I mean, I don't pretend to know half as much. I mean, but you can see how the they coaches. were defending. Like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. You're right. The, the coaches are far smarter than me. They know far more about football than I do. But even coaches sometimes can get too conservative. And I think that's what happened in this game. Because there were, like, they were, the way they were defending us, just loading the box and triggering so hard with these run blitzes, screenplays were there. And we absolutely could have hurt them and probably put another score up on the board. Now, in retrospect, you know, you look back and it, it worked out the way it did. So you can't really, it, it's hard to criticize them too much. But I was calling for us at times in that game, looking at how they were defending us, like, throw a screen. I understand why you don't want to throw the ball down the field. I get it. I'm not asking you to do that. Throw a screen. Throw a screen. It's a very safe play. If you're trying to be safe and get out here with the win, I understand it. But screens can be safe, too, and we'll be just fine. And you can hit some big plays on uh, from those from those looks. So I was hopeful, hoping that we would do something like that, but we just didn't. Again, it worked out, so I don't want to criticize them too much, but I get where you're coming from here. You know, just It seemed like, dude, like we're just bashing our head against the wall. This is the definition of insanity. Why are we doing this? But... Um, you got to understand how Kirby views these things. He wants to get the lead. He wants to play complimentary football, as he often talks about, in, in the rain, in that situation, that context against that team. To him, playing complimentary football was continuing to run the football, even though we weren't having a ton of success until late in the game we were able to ice it. Okay, our next question is from Jamie. He wants to know how loud it actually was at the Tennessee game, and he wants to also formally apologize to the whole offensive line for his previous doubts. Says that they played hard. I like a person who can apologize. Yeah, hey, man, we, we miss awesome. things sometimes. We miss things sometimes. Um, how loud was it? Loud. I had to cover my ears, and did I did you. Were well, you one of those people, Charlie? No, it was so loud at it one point that my ears started to ring. And I know that I know my watch was going off, and I know other people's were saying that it was in a, a oh, loud my app, environment. Oh, my Apple Watch now decibel yeah, levels. I was, was like, mute, a, mute for today. Yeah, it was a loud environment, and you needed to protect your ears. You know. So they have the decibel meter in the stadium. It got up to one hundred thirty before. Do you started. actually buy that's real? No, Come I'm on. just saying. It, if it is looking at the numbers. 
at the beginning of the game, it was like 118 mm-hmm. is the is the sound to beat or right, the noise right. to beat. Then it slowly went up to 120, then went up to 123, then went up to 125, then it went up to 128, and then it went up to 130. It was loud. It no was one loud. Stopped. I don't trust that meter. No, but no one stopped. No, it was we insane. did get louder in the third quarter, and it did get so loud that I had to cover my ears at one point. I think two loudest moments that I mentioned on that when it was like fourth and a mile and got the sack and of course they ended up getting the first down. That and also the sack in the end zone, which was I mean, yeah. to be real, that was that was a safety, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I think those are probably the two loudest moments in that game. But you're right, the entire game was as loud as I've ever heard Sanford Stadium. Like, would you agree with that? And the loudest you've ever heard Sanford Stadium? Yes. Yeah, I mean it was it was insane. I mean the pop coming out in two thousand seven with the with the blackout game against Auburn, the initial blackout game, that pop when black and back and black hit on the speakers, that was loud and insane, but that was a very... And, and the, the game was loud and crazy, but not anything close to what we witnessed inside San Francisco on Saturday. So yeah, John, our, uh, who was this, Jamie? It was it was big time, man. It was the big time environment. And yeah, the offensive line, it, you were not alone, Jamie. I mean, I was criticizing this offensive line like crazy after the Missouri game. And even before that, Curtis as well, we were all doing that. And I, I will say, like you know, the point we were trying to make was, we're better than this, right? And I know that's what you were saying too, Jamie. It's like, we have more talent than this. Why are these guys not playing up to their capabilities? Why are they not getting the second level? Why are they not sustaining blocks the way they need to? And I will give them credit, just like you, Jamie. They have answered the bell. One guy in particular who I think has really, really, really stepped up his game is Tate Ratledge at right guard. I was actually, I mean, I'll be honest, I was critical of him in the first couple of games of the season. I didn't think he was moving very well. It wasn't so much criticism as it was like a question, like, is, is there something wrong with Tate Rattledge? Are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? Is I I don't think he's moving well at all. He's one of the big issues we have, you know, at the second level. He's had, he's, had, he's getting beat across his face because he can't get his foot, his feet across the, the defensive lineman you know, on his face, trying to cross his face. But that guy, as the season's progressed, has improved dramatically from a movement standpoint, I think what we're seeing is Tate Rattledge get healthy. I don't think Tate was healthy. I mean, he obviously dealt with a Liz Frank injury last year that cost him essentially the entire year. And then he had a turf toe injury. Which, guys, how many freaking guys can we have with turf toe injuries this year? I mean, dear God, he had... Right now, we've got uh, Xavier Truss. Lab McConkie's been dealing with it all year. Tate Rattledge dealt with it in fall camp. I mean, I've never seen so many turf toe injuries on one team in one season. It's crazy. But he just wasn't moving well because he wasn't healthy. Now I think he's getting healthy, and you're seeing a different version of Tate Rattledge, and he's playing like the Tate Rattledge I expected him to be, even going back to last year. So he's playing lights out. I think that's helped us a huge deal. Amarius Mims, I know, did not play in this game, but he's also really come on of late. I think he's playing at a really high level. I just think our guys are getting more experience. Some of these guys haven't played a ton in, in, in their careers, and they're getting better and better and better. And uh, it's no surprise our offense is actually starting to gel, and we're kind of figuring out who our what our identity is because this offensive line is allowing us to finally once again be that football team. Okay, we have about five questions left. This next one is from Jonathan, and he wants your opinion on the edge rushers. He doesn't think Marvin Jones Jr. is ready as a true freshman because he doesn't seem physical enough at the point of attack. So, how concerned are you with the edge rusher position? Moving forward to finish out this year. Extremely worried, Jonathan. This is a great point, my friend. Yes, I'm extremely worried. In fact, this is the position right now that I am more worried about than any other position on the field. I have been very worried about the receivers all year. I've made no secret about that and our ability to win and man coverage consistently and create separation. It looks like we're going to get A.D. Mitchell back, at least according to Kirby Smart in his Monday press conference leading into this game against Mississippi State. I don't know how much he'll play and how healthy he's going to be and what kind of shape he's going to be in, but it looks like we're getting him back in some capacity, which is huge. I think that will help us tremendously. 
So I'm, I'm still not, I'm not unworried about the receiver position, but I'm not as worried if we have AD back healthy. But dear God, outside linebacker guys, we have no depth, like zero depth. It's crazy to me how this was, you know, just a couple of years ago, this was the strongest position on the team. We were talking about the embarrassment of riches that we had that position. It's like we do the tight end position now. You know, I mean, you're talking about Azizo Jolari and Jermaine Johnson and Burton Cox was there once upon a time and he's gone now, obviously. Um, Nolan Smith, we have Adam Anderson, you have all these guys and now we have Nolan Smith. And Robert Beal's always been there and Beal's a good player for us, man, but he's not at that level of those guys. He's just nice. He's not that dynamic of an athlete. He's a good, solid player and we are lucky to have him. And he did lead the team in sacks last year. There's that. So he's not, he's a good player. We were lucky to have him, but he's not Nolan Smith. I mean, he's not Adam Anderson. He doesn't do the same thing. He's not Aziz Ojolari. He's not Jermaine Johnson. He's not those guys. So even even if he was fully healthy, which it seems like he's going to be. Kirby said in the press conference today, it's just a stinger. He should be ready to go, which is great. That's great news. It's like without, like with Beal, we're okay. Like I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm concerned about it because I don't, like Nolan Smith is that good, especially as a run defender. And the athleticism he brings to the table, which allows us to be versatile defensively. I mean, that is a concern for me, but Beal can do it to a degree, just not to the level of Nolan. But if Beal's not playing, we have problems at outside linebacker. Chaz Chambliss is still a young guy, but Chaz just does not. I mean, if there's a step down in athleticism from a good step down from Nolan to Beal, the step down in athleticism from Beal to Chaz Chambliss is a canyon. Like it's not there. Like Chaz is a good run defender at times. Like he's a strong physical guy. He plays hard. He's a grinder. All those things. I, I and I like Chaz. I'm not trying to be hard on him, guys. I'm just you ask the question. I'm trying to be objective here. There's a drop off in talent there. I mean, and even against the run, like he does a good job striking blocks. Chaz does, but his he just hasn't played a lot. And his lack of awareness sometimes is like, oh my god. Like, I mean, there are a couple of times last two weeks where he does a good job setting the edge. But the, the running back just runs right by him. And he's just like turning in circles. And it just doesn't even notice it. Doesn't see it happen. And, and those are plays that Nolan just swallows up as tackles for loss or no gains. And that's a problem when you play better teams. Now, we were able, we were fine against Tennessee because by the time Buell went out, we still had a nice solid lead. And they were still trying to run the ball. And they were able to hit a couple plays on the ground where Chaz Chambliss was. But, you know, we were, we were okay because, you know, obviously we had the lead there. And it kind of changed the way that they were playing offense. But... He, like with Chaz on the field, we just can't do some of the things that we we're able to do with Nolan Smith and, he, and to a lesser degree with with Robert Beal. Marvin Jones Jr. is the talent guy. Like he's the one that's more talented than 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 Beal or or Chaz. But you're right, he's young and he's he's not he hasn't filled out yet, right? You know, like I'll give Chaz this. Chaz, he, he's jacked, man. Like Chaz is a strong dude, and that's why he strikes blocks very well. He's just some other things he's got to continue to work on. I, I also give Chaz, you know, the benefit of the doubt here and say Chaz has been hurt. Almost all year. I think the Florida game was the second time he dressed out all year because he's been dealing with a hamstring injury. So that kind of has stunted his development some, and that's also a concern for me. But uh, Marvin Jones Jr. is just not there yet physically. Like he's, you know, Kirby's even talked about. It. He's like, you know, he couldn't play earlier because he couldn't strike blocks, and he's doing a better job of that. And he's starting to get, get to where he can maybe earn some playing time. And as much as you want to get a guy like that on the field because of his athleticism and, the, and his ability to rush the passer, you can do it situationally in third downs. But he can't play uh, at least. It's a concern to me if he has to play standard downs and set the edge and hold up against the run. Because right now, physically, he has not shown that he is ready to do that. So yes, 
I am concerned about that because we are going to play teams down the stretch that do run the football very well. If it's LSU, LSU runs the ball pretty well, man, at least from the quarterback position. If it's Ohio State, Ohio State does everything well on offense. They, they do. They just do everything well on offense. That is a concern if we play them at some point down the road. If we play Tennessee again at some point, that's somewhat of a concern if it's a neutral site and, you know, Chaz and Marvin Jones Jr. are going to play a lot of snaps. So, yeah, if there's, you know, what is my biggest concern the rest of the way, it's outside linebacker, man. Like, I think Nolan's a big loss as we just do not have the quality of depth at that position that we do at other spots on the field. I think that was the one spot where we could probably least afford an injury. Like, I hate to say it, but honestly, it was. And we're just, we're a banged up football team. But I am glad that it looks like Beal's going to be okay and able to play this weekend. All right, our next question comes from Christopher, and it has to do with the Mississippi State game this weekend that's happening in. Mississippi. Starville, Mississippi. In the middle of nowhere. Start Vegas. He wants to know, how much of our game plan for Tennessee do you think we'll be able to use against Mississippi State? And also, what is the major mm. weakness of the Mississippi State team that we can pick on and take advantage yeah, of? Yeah, I know that the Tennessee offense is a version of the air raid. It's an offshoot, but it's not the Mike Leach air raid. So there's not a ton that you're going to take away from how we played Tennessee. Because the big thing is, again, going back to what Tennessee does. Tennessee runs the football 57% of the time. Mississippi State, to put it lightly, does not. They will run the football more than they have in the past. They've kind of adapted to the SEC to a degree. If they have, if they feel that there's a light box, if, if they have the numbers advantage, they will run the football. But it's not what they do by trade. It's kind of what Tennessee does. That's not what Mississippi State does or what they want to do. They want to throw the football every single snap if they can. So I don't think there's as much defensive is going to translate in this game uh, to Mississippi State as well, like, from what we saw against Tennessee. But what do I see from Mississippi State that's their major weakness? It's rush defense. If you look at some of their numbers, guys, so it's really weird. Okay, so against Bama a couple weeks ago, they had Alabama to 29 rushing yards and only 1.1 yards per attempt. Like You look at that number, you're like, dang, man, that's a really good rushing team. Alabama, Mississippi State, you held them to under 30 yards rushing. Like, damn, they must be really good on defense stopping the run. Eh, uh, Kind of the anomaly, guys. Look at the past couple weeks before that. They gave up 241 and 5.5 yards per attempt to Arkansas, 239 and 5 yards per attempt to uh, to Kentucky, who coming into that game was the worst rushing team in the SEC. Chris Rodriguez had almost 200. I think he had a buck 96 in that game. Against Auburn this past week, where they almost blew a 3-4 touchdown lead in that game, 256 yards rushing, 5.6 yards per rush. Go back to LSU, right? 207 yards rushing, 5.4 yards per attempt in that game. So, Outside of Alabama, Alabama is the anomaly. Every other decent SEC team they have played, and calling Auburn decent is quite the stretch, to be honest with you. Basically, every other SEC team that they played, they have really, really struggled to stop the run. That's not going to be good for them against the Georgia team that's kind of starting to figure ourselves out offensively, and we're getting this run game going. So that is the weakness of this entire Mississippi State team in my opinion they they defend the pass fairly well they actually rush the passer pretty well the other big weakness i would say if you want to look at something offensively for them they don't protect the passer all that well now i know the sack numbers are like fine ish they've only given up 19 sacks in the year which is about middle of the pack in the sec but you have to remember their style of offense right they get the ball out of will rogers hands very quickly so an offense that gets the ball out of his hands as quickly as they do to have given up 19 sacks it's kind of alarming. And when you actually watch them play, they are not good on the edges. Like we don't rush the passer well, you know, off the edge, but this might be a game where we can get some more sacks like we did against Tennessee because they really, really they had a first round draft pick leave last year. They're really struggling blocking uh, from a pass pro standpoint on the edges right now. So I think those are the two areas one offense, one defense I will look at for Mississippi State. And Charlie, I know we have a couple more questions. No, I want to say that say. if you are going to the Mississippi State game, 
Or even if you're staying in town, it's supposed to be significantly cooler this weekend. Yes. Especially in Mississippi State. I think the high is like 50 I think it's in the mid-low 50s. But then that game is a night game. It's starting at 7. It'll be chilly. Guys, that's central time zone. So if you're going to the game, it's going to be dark at like 5 o'clock. Yes, it will. It's not going to be warm. So if you're in need of some warm clothes and you live in Athens, or guess what? You have a computer or a phone. You can pick up some really great warm gear for the game this weekend. You absolutely can. And it, for the winter season. And where can they do that, Charlie? Alumni Hall. Of course. It's that simple. You are so you really are better at this than I am. Uh, I think I've been saying that for a while. Yeah, and uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So Alumni Hall, guys, you can stop in in person here in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in the Classic City if you are around town. Or, as Charlie said, it's very easy to do it online, on your phone, on your computer, tablet, whatever. And I'll even say this. If you have a loved one or a friend that is not a Georgia fan... But they are a fan of another team. Yes. You can buy other school gear from Alumni Hall. I think that might be illegal, though, Charlie. I think it's a federal crime. I'm just saying. For a Georgia fan to They do have that. some great stuff. So, perchance, mm. you do need to buy some. Maybe you oh, have we're going a, perchance nowadays? Maybe you have a divided house. No, I don't understand the concept of a divided house. I, I know some of you probably have that. I don't get it. I it just I. This is an advertisement. I know, Charlie. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do a divided house. And Alumni Hall has great stuff. Alumni so Hall? check it out. Alumni Hall. Hall. There we go. Yes, check it out, guys, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, three more questions, and then we're going to get out of here for today. Georgia CFB says that the dogs are likely to face LSU and not Alabama. In the SEC championship game, which is shocking after, I mean, it's the dynasty. That's just kind of what you expect. Yeah. Uh, But we got to let the season play out. How much does that surprise you that we would probably face LSU? And do you think we will match up well with the Tigers? Well, are we sure it's going to be LSU? I know right now they are in first place. Yes. Most likely. But they already have two, no, they have one conference loss, right? They lost to Tennessee. If they lose to Arkansas this week, Charlie, on the road, and Ole Miss beats Alabama, well, then it's Ole Miss, right? right? Now, Ole Miss also has to go but on the road to domino, Arkansas. It's like, it's a big flow chart. Well, LSU has the, they have the, the, the lead here because they beat, they beat Ole Miss. They are technically yes. in first place yes. because they've already beat Ole yes. Miss. So, unless LSU has two SEC losses and Ole Miss, only has and one. Ole Miss wins out. Then yeah, so I mean, you're right. You're exactly right. LSU is the one sitting pretty in the clubhouse right now. It's just not necessarily a done deal. But yes, let's go ahead and let's entertain the question. If it's LSU, it's not going to be damage, right? Can we at least say that? 
Yep. Two SEC losses. It's not going to be Alabama. I, I mean, well, I can't say that with a, a strong degree of certainty, but I just don't feel like it's going to be Alabama at this point. Um, but LA, especially if they, if they lose, obviously if they lose to Ole Miss, it's done. It's finito. It's done. I'm very curious. To see how, are you curious to see how Alabama comes out this week on the road uh, after this loss? Yeah. More so Tennessee. I was just working on my write-ups for for the pick show. Pick show, and yeah, I, I'm curious to see how these teams that well Tennessee schedules garbage down the stretch. So got they've got right, but I Missouri, think it, South Carolina. But I think it says a lot about coaching to see Vanderbilt. how the kids come out. Yeah, after a loss, well, I think Tennessee can even come out poorly and still win because they have nobody on their schedule. But we'll see. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially teams that haven't been there. You're exactly right. So if it is LSU. I'm uh, well, Charlie. I'm gonna pull out my preseason picks here. All right, how much does it surprise me? Well, Charlie, what does it say next to LSU right there? Ten I, and two. I did predict LSU to go ten and two. You know, and early in the season I was kind of like, oh man, I don't think that looks good right now, and I was feeling the pressure on that, especially the loss to FSU. I don't think they're gonna end up ten and two. I do think they will lose again. I think they're gonna lose to either Arkansas. Well, shoot, man, honestly, Charlie, they might go ten and two because Arkansas just freaking lost to Liberty at home, and I swear to God, I'm gonna kill. I your boy Sam Pittman, Charlie. He better watch himself. If I, I see know. that man, if I see that man, I'm gonna knock him out. I was including because he is killing me right now. He is killing me right now. All I needed was him to beat Liberty and win one out of these last three games. And now they're now it's like, dear God, I don't know. They're probably gonna beat Arkansas. Arkansas, their defense is just so bad, and I was just playing great. And then you got at A and M at A and M, Charlie. Is that a, a daunting trip these days? No, that is not. not a daunting trip. So. I don't know, Charlie. I just saw my ten and two pick might actually work out. I just saw that one of the commitments decommitted from A and M. Surprise, 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 surprise. Driver. Now I will say, um, I do hope that LSU loses this weekend. I'd rather them lose this weekend than me be right in my preseason pick there because I do have I need Arkansas to win. I just I need Arkansas to win that game. That would help me a, a tremendous amount. But I mean, look, I think Tennessee, I think LSU is me nine and three at worst. So I'm not. And I had them at ten and two. So no, I'm not really surprised by that. And I got some blowback. I mean, Curtis had him at eleven and one. Charlie, he was even higher on them than I was. They're obviously not going eleven and one because they already have two losses. That's, that's how these things work. Wow, that's really? how these things work, Charlie. But Curtis was also very high on them as well. Um, but again, I'm not surprised because I thought they had the talent on defense, and I thought Jane Daniels really raised their ceiling. I thought that he would adapt to their offense a little bit quicker than he did. They struggled to open the season because it was a new offense for him, and he had to kind of learn things. They were feeling each other out, but they are clicking right now, man. Uh, in terms of a potential matchup with LSU, I think we match up very well. What LSU does well is they run the football well, especially from the quarterback position. What do we do well on defense? More than anything. We do a lot of things well on defense, but more than anything, we stop the run extraordinarily well. And it's been a long time since we've had a dual-threat quarterback, a guy that can hurt you with his legs, actually really hurt us with his legs. I mean, Hinton Hooker is a guy that can kill you with his legs. We held him to 17 yards rushing on 18 carries. I know there's some sack numbers in there, but still. Uh, Anthony Richardson, same thing. Did not let that guy hurt us. Uh, you go back to the Auburn game, Robbie Ashford, say, on the sack, Bo Nix, and let him hurt us. On the sack note there, you know, everybody's always saying, Georgia doesn't sack enough. We don't get enough pressure on the quarterback. Mm. Well, Six in one game. We did when we needed to. Yep. So it's all about the scheming. You're exactly right. That's a great point, Charlie. In order to just step on their necks and watch them suffocate. Absolutely. You're exactly right. Kirby says a lot. Like, it's like sacks are great. But it's more about affecting the quarterback. And, and sometimes in a game, when you, depending on the quarterback you have to play, schematically, maybe just wildly rushing at him is not the way to do it. And the teams that do that, they might get some sacks, but they also get burned a couple times, and they might end up losing that game. So I think you're exactly right, Charlie. That's a great point. 
But um, yeah, I think we actually matched up very well. They are good defensively. They have two really good pass rushers. This freshman guy, Harold Perkins, that they outbid AM for in, in the, with the, the NIL game. This guy, I mean, he's got, he gives me Adam Anderson vibes, but he's better than Adam Anderson ever was already as a true freshman. He is a freaking stud. And then you match him with BJ Ojolari. They got some dangerous pass rushers. I do think they're vulnerable in the pass game. I think you can hit them down the field someplace. And they also haven't been really particularly good against the run. So I think we'll be able to run the football on them. I think that we'll be able to hold their run game in check, which is really what their offense is built on because they have not thrown the ball well at all. Jane Daniels is really not that kind of guy. And the receivers haven't been as good as I thought that they would be. It'll be a challenge. Um, they've, I, I think Brian Kelly's a really good football coach, but I think we match up very well with LSU. And, it'll, and we'll just see how this plays out. Obviously, if we get to that, if we get to that point, if we hold up our end of the bargain and they hold up their end of the bargain, and that is the ultimate matchup, then we will have a lot of coverage on that here in the coming weeks. Okay, only two questions left. Russell would like to know, why didn't we get the safety in the end zone, which we then followed up with a very quick touchdown mm-hmm. after the punt, but what was the reasoning, and have you ever heard that reasoning before? Um, the reasoning was sheer ineptitude, Charlie. Yes, I agree. They I mean, that's wrong. no explanation. Like, they, they were, were wrong. flat wrong. Flat wrong. I mean, I was too, I was so mad, I was tweeting Greg Sankey in the middle of that game. I don't know if you saw that, but I'm tweeting did, Greg Sankey. I was shocked, because usually you don't tweet during games. I don't tweet during games. That, exactly. That's how outraged I was that moment, how fired up I was. It's unacceptable. I know it did not end up hurting us, but Charlie, it could have. And SEC officials, officials in general, but especially these SEC officials, they just get away with murder. And I'm not calling them corrupt. I'm not calling them corrupt. I don't think that's the issue at all. I just think they're bad at their jobs, far far more than they are good at their jobs, to be honest with you. And I know that's a really tough job. And I know it. I really know it is. It's a very tough job. I don't want that job. But dear God, man, when you have a review and you look at that and you, like, you know, in the, in the heat of the game, in the moment, things happen so fast. I can I get you missing the call on the field. That's fine, but for the replay official to sit up there and to look at that, the same thing that we the, the same thing that Gene Steratore, the CBS official that comes on there, their their officiating expert, for him to sit there and say, yeah, it's obvious. Like not even like oh, I don't know, man. No, he's like it's pretty clear he was not out. And they come back and say the play stands. Get out of here with that. Like there has to be some level of accountability for officiating, and there never is. And that's my problem. Coaches are held accountable. Players are held accountable. Everyone else in every freaking walk of life is held accountable. But you can be an official, and you're never held accountable. That or a weatherman, as I always say. Is that your explanation? I, I mean, the explanation is they're just wrong and not good at their jobs. Like right. it's as simple as that. Just sheer ineptitude. All right. Last question from our friend Josh. He says he would prefer three Big Ten teams and UGA in the college football playoff, not because Tennessee is a threat, but because he doesn't think their fan base deserves to suffer. Excuse me. He thinks that the fa- their fan base, Ball Nation, does deserve to suffer more after how horrible they behaved um, in the last week yes. and continue to behave currently. They're, they're still wilding out. That's his hot take. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Charlie, um, I had a, I saw, there's this guy that was, you know, they are all wilding out on social media, but there's one guy that was like trying to start junk with me. And I really don't like, I don't, I, that's one I, I like interacting with our listeners on social media. I hate the trolls. I hate that stuff because it, it gives voice to a bunch of, well, family show, um, people that should not have voices in the public sphere, to be honest, just the way they handle themselves. And the same dude has come back after the game saying, literally, Charlie, making excuses because of the rain. Charlie, we were up 24-6 when it started to rain. Yeah. We were up 24-6 halfway through the second we half. We kept the ball for eight minutes on purpose. Dear people. God. Dear God. Well, if we were in rain, we would have won the game. Nah, man. Like, no. That's not how that works. And that's, that's what I'm talking about, guys. Charlie, you said they were number two on your hate list or number one? <clears throat> They're number two on my hate list. I have floor number one. Tennessee. Number one after last week, it might, like, 
Yeah, I think it can fluctuate. It's a fluid. I, I think it's fluid. I think it can be fluid. And right now, they might be number one because Florida is just pathetic right now. Tennessee is probably number one for me right now. And that is exactly why. That's case in point. The delusion knows no bounds. And all fan bases are delusional to a degree. Ours, Our fan base is delusional at times. But not like that, Charlie. Not like that. And for them, it's not just like a few, like every fan base has a couple bad apples. For them, it's, no, it's not that. Like, it's not the exception. Like that's the rule for Tennessee fans. Like the exception are the sane ones because there aren't many of them. So yes, um, it was, what was, the, what was the question here? Yeah, I, I'm with you here, Josh. I I do not want Tennessee in exactly like you say, not because I'm scared. I don't know if you say that on social media. They'll jump down and say, oh, you're scared. Like, what I tweet out very innocuous, innocuously after the college football playoff rankings to start this whole thing on Tuesday was, oh man, I'm really glad that we're actually number three. I said, like, thank you, CFP committee, for giving us, you know, just for giving us motivation or whatever, you know, just something innocuous like that. And of course, every Tennessee fan jumped on me, taking that as me saying, I'm scared, Tennessee. It's like, dude, we haven't lost a regular season game since October of 2021. I've even kind of forgot what that feels like, knock on wood. So I'm not scared of it. I read a statistic. We've only lost four games. Kirby Smart has only lost four home games in his tenure, and three of them were in his first year. Yeah, I think we're 38 of the last 39 at home, something like that in the 30s for sure. So, look, no, it's not that I'm scared. Not at all. I do respect them. They're a good team. It's just like I respect them coming into this game. But it's more so I don't want their fans to be able to enjoy that because I'll use the H word. I hate them. I don't want them to be able to enjoy that. They are... They are not a good fan base. They're not. I'm sorry. There's too many of those. Well, again, got to watch myself here. Not nice people. Let's just call them that. Is that PC enough? We'll go with that. So, yes. Um, I Now, three Big Ten teams, Charlie. Who are the three Big Ten teams? I mean, I think he's just saying that's what I mean, maybe Michigan, Ohio right, State. Right, but I think but, that's part of it. Like, yeah. He'd rather have like Penn State get in there. They're just yeah. like dying because three Big Ten teams, because there aren't three. There's not three Big Ten teams that would be in the playoff. The only one with, other one would be Penn State, and he that's just not really going to happen. Oh, Illinois. Illinois only got one loss, Charlie. I know. What if they run? Well, see, if they run the tail, it means they beat Michigan. The Michigan's out. So, yeah, probably not going to happen. I guess there would only be one loss for Michigan. Well, either Michigan would lose to Ohio State, or maybe Michigan beats Ohio State. I guess it's possible with Illinois. I don't see it happening. I don't think they're worthy of that. But, yeah, I'd rather that, honestly, three Big Ten teams in Georgia, if it ends up that way, than I would have in Tennessee in there. I'm totally with you there, man, because I do not like that fan base. But all right, guys, that's all we've got today for you. I will be back here in a day or two to give you our official Mississippi State game preview. I know this is not as big of a game in a lot of our minds as the Tennessee game was, but we cannot fall into that trap. We can't let our team fall in that trap because I, I know like you think what we say, what we do, doesn't matter. In the age of social media, I think it kind of does because teams players see that they internalize this we gotta take this game seriously and we're gonna take it very seriously on this game i've been thinking about it since maybe an hour after we beat tennessee and my mind immediately went oh my god this is like the biggest trap game of all time for us so we'll have that cover for you guys here in a day or two and then charlie will be back with me to wrap things up as she is each and every week with our picks of the week but thank you for being here guys always appreciate you for charlie i'm tyler and as always go dogs